Good morning, good morning. It's bright and early here in Wyoming, and it's, you know, around 4 o'clock a.m., and I think it's a good time for us to get started and look into the Word of God. So welcome to God's Little Hummingbird, and I hope that you have been blessed by this podcast. What we do is we read through the Bible from the beginning, exploring the Bible with the original languages as a guide, helping us to better understand some of the concepts in terms taught because sometimes people often twist scripture because they don't know what it actually said in the original language. And so with that knowledge, you're better able to understand what is being said and also to understand the the nature of God in a more real and realistic way. So today we are going to be reading Genesis chapter 16, and we are also going to conjoin that with Galatians, some of the renewed covenant sections, the, the writings the letters, Galatians 4 and chapter 5, because this is an often misunderstood concept that many believers twist to their own destruction, as Peter warns us in Second Peter chapter 3, that many people twist Paul's words to their own destruction. In fact, in Acts chapter 21, Paul was so misunderstood that we see that he had to go perform the rites of a Nazarite vow and pay the sacrifice offering for a few fellow believers just to prove that he himself walked orderly and obey the law because so many people taught and thought he was saying not to obey the law and honestly that's never the case he only only ever came against trying to obey laws to be saved he was trying to show that you don't just have to become a Jew because there was a huge huge um, dilemma going on, You'll, and you see that, obviously, if you've read anything from Matthew to Revelation, you see that there was a, a big uh, misunderstanding on some people's parts of, well, you have to become a Jew, but that's not true, because God just wanted us to be grafted into Israel, and remember, only the southern kingdom was called Jews, and if you've been following along, you've heard me reference that. If not, continue to follow along, go back and listen to the other podcasts, and It'll begin to make more sense as we continue through scripture, but that's what we're going to be hitting up today. I do pray that Father God would open our eyes, ears, and hearts to comprehend only his truth and his truth alone. And we do read from the New King James Version Bible, as it is one of the most accurate translations, the New American Standard Bible probably being the most accurate literal translation to the Hebrew. But this one reads very well. And there are some things I try to clarify, and I will clarify as we go, that are not accurate, but for for a lot of it, it is accurate. Pretty good translation. So, with that being said, let's begin. Now, Sarai, Avram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Okay, let's review here. Sarai means princess. Avram means exalted father. Egypt, okay, so she was an Egyptian maidservant. And remember in the Bible, I told you there are two Hebrew words that always are dual purpose. Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, and Maim, which is water. Meaning it never just symbolizes the one thing. So Egypt often throughout scripture symbolizes sin. If you've read anything in the Bible, (laughs) you've probably come across that. Egypt symbolizes both the country and the place we were in bondage. Physically, our ancestors, the Israelites, were enslaved there. But it also symbolizes the sin to which we were enslaved when we were born into this world. Um, kind of like the, the bondage of 
Satan, the bondage of sin. And then Hagar means flight. Interesting, many times you'll see that people's names often, like, they, be, they grow into their name. They actually fulfill the prophecy of their name. And it's amazing to me, but it still happens today. I see people all the time actually, like, blossom into or, like, fulfill the prophecy that's found in their name. It's pretty amazing. Verse 2. So Sarai said to Avram, See now, Yahweh has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Avram heeded the voice of Sarai. So here we see Sarai being, being a little impatient and starting to lose faith. She knew Yahweh had told Avram that, that they were going to have children, that there was going to be a child. But she was confused at this point because it wasn't happening. And, well, they were old, <laughs> too old to have children naturally. And so she said, here, you know, maybe, maybe this is the way Yahweh is going to work it. And can you think of a time in your life where you've started to doubt what God had told you? Whether it be even just obedience. Remember we said Satan always, always, always will tempt us. And he knows the word of God, so he'll twist it and try to say, did God really say that? Did God really say not to eat that tree of knowledge of good and evil? No, he's not going to kill you. You know, did you ever hear that voice at times when maybe Yahweh had said just to wait or just to wait on him for something? And instead of waiting, you leaped forward and made a choice that in the end cost you a great deal of heartache. That's what's going to happen here. Sarai started to lose faith, and instead of waiting patiently for Yahweh, she dove in and went ahead and makes this a blunder that (laughs) we are still suffering the consequences for today. Verse 3, Then Sarai, Avram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Avram to be his wife, after Avram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So this is ten years after they had left Um, remember Haran, they had left Ur the Chaldeans and they went to Haran and here they come to the promised land and they're not fully dwelling in it yet as far as all the the ancestors of Israel so it wasn't called Israel yet but it was still land of Canaan but it is the land which Yahweh promised to give to Avram's descendants. Verse 4 So he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived her mistress became despised in her eyes. So she began to treat her with contempt, basically. She's like, oh, look at me. See, I have a child and you don't. So then Sarai said to Avram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maiden to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Yahweh judge between you and me. Now, honestly here, it was Sarai's idea for her to go into her. And now Sarai is suffering some, some of the consequences right away. But at the same point, there may be something behind the scenes that we don't see. Remember in the Bible, not every single detail of every single minute of every day is explained. So there may have been something also here. Maybe maybe Yahweh was expecting Avram to have waited, right? I mean, Avram was just as guilty as Sarai in not waiting for the promise. And he should have said, wait a minute, no, Yahweh promised me a child would come, you know, with my wife. So it it is obviously a wrong between on both of their parts, just like Adam and Eve both ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but 
here there could be something else we don't understand because or we don't see because she blames Avram and says, you know, Yahweh judge between you and me who did right. Verse 6. So Avram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So the she there is Hagar. Hagar fled. That was interesting. Her name means flight. Now the angel of Yahweh found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of Yahweh, angel of this means messenger, just so you understand. Um, but the messenger of Yahweh said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. Now notice here, I'm going to point out something. I'm going to point out something. He says, I will multiply your descendants. This is the first time that we see a record of a deity on earth called the angel of Yahweh who says, I will exceedingly multiply your descendants. Okay. I firmly believe this is Yeshua, Jesus. And many, many other believe that, especially when you know that Jesus himself says in the New Testament, no one has seen the face of the Father live. So we know this isn't the Father, but we know Yeshua and the Father are one in that they are one in purpose. Remember we talked about that in chapter one. They are echad, they are one in purpose, one in vision, one in spirit, one in, one in their direction, but just like a husband and wife or a father and son, but they are not actually physically one entity. And so, because obviously we see the word Elohim, which is God in Hebrew, actually is plural. Elohim, that I am at the end, remember, is like adding an S in English. It's equivalent to that. And so it's always, it's plural. So interesting, I'm gonna, and I want you to keep following me because we're going to actually see her call him God in the next few verses. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. Because Yahweh has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. <laughs> um, so often we see the Ishmaelites today over in the Middle East, and they are kind of wild men, <laughs> and they are, there were 12 sons obviously that came from Ishmael, just as 12 sons came from Israel. Interesting how Satan always counters this from the Egyptian, right? Ishmael came from the Egyptian maidservant. There's always a counter to God's truth, and it looks more true than false. And so that's why we have to make sure we're very, very, very in tune to the Holy Spirit of the Father God and know his word so you can discern what's of him and what's not. Verse 13, this is where I want you to really pay attention. Then she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, Yahweh. Okay, so who's speaking to her? It's this angel of the Lord. But he said, I will increase your descendants. I will multiply your descendants. So he has the power to do so. She just calls him Yahweh. We know when Jesus returns that we are told his name is Yahweh Sidkenu, Yahweh our righteousness. So interesting, right? So we know that she's talking to Yeshua here. So then she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees, which is um, El Roeh, for she said, 
Have I also here seen him who sees me? So she knew she was talking and seeing, physically seeing with her eyes. God, though. So therefore the well was called Be'er Lachai Roe. So that's um, the well of the one who lives and sees. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Avram a son, and Avram named his son, whom Hagar bore, who Hagar bore Ishmael. God has heard. Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Avram. Some of you may never have seen that before. So here we see an instance of Yeshua already visiting the earth, not as the born son. He's not walking as a man yet. He is just a messenger working God, the Father's will here on earth, being that messenger. He is the representation, the image of God that we can and physically have seen, right? People have physically seen him on earth many times, beginning right here. Begin, I mean, right here, we see it. And so that's really neat. And I think a lot of people miss that. Now, obvious, obvious implications in this story. Birth came forth through forcing their own human efforts and ways. Now, it wasn't the promised way, and it's not the way that ultimately was who's going to be the chosen one. And we're going to read that in the next chapter, chapter 17. And so what we see here, though, is they didn't wait for God's promise, so they went ahead and found an Egyptian who symbolizes sin or their own fleshly struggle, and they chose to have children through her, but ultimately he does not become the promised child, and he is not the one through whom the Messiah comes. Now, that is not to say that those people cannot repent and turn and be grafted into Israel. Anybody who walks on the face of this earth has the choice to turn and follow our God. But what this is a huge picture of is that in our own human fleshly ways, we cannot make God's promises come true. We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything good enough in our own efforts to be counted as righteous. And so I just, it's, it's just really, really important. And what we're going to do now is let's jump over to Galatians chapter 4 and 5. And I want to see, I want you to see here where this story is very, very well talked about. Now, it doesn't end here. We're going to have to continue on. So I beg you to continue with us as we go through Genesis chapter 17, 18, and, and um, through here so that we, when we see actually Israel, the promised child, I mean, sorry, Isaac, the promised child, actually born. So just, just bear with us. But I do want to jump over to Galatians chapter 4. So if you can turn in your Bibles. Now remember, if you don't have a New King James Version Bible, go online. Guys, they are, is free, is free, free, free now to go like on Blue Letter Bible or Bible Hub. And you can find these these um, Bible versions online for free. That's one of the blessings of the internet. And if you don't have a Bible, always contact us. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. Remember to share this podcast. Remember to go to God's Little Hummingbird on our Facebook page. And you can always message me. We'll make sure you get a Bible. Believe me, I've sent Bibles all over the world. <laughs> so it's, 
it's it's my joy to be able to spread God's word. That's all we're here about. Remember, we don't get paid, and I will do not monetize this podcast. We are not here to get paid. There's nothing I gain from this. As far as financially, there's no incentive to lie. I'm not growing any membership. All I want is God to have his children. Okay, hopefully you're there now. Galatians chapter 4. Let's continue on. Verse now, this is in the middle of a book, so, or in the letter. So they wrote these chapter, remember, these chapter numbers were not there. These chapter, the numbers of the verses were not there. So they break it apart into sections. We're coming in halfway through this letter, but there are some things in here that you will see that refer to this story that we just are reading about. Okay, Galatians chapter 4. Now, I say that the heir as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Okay, so this is talking about a child, you know, he really isn't any different than a slave because the father has to tell him what to do, right? Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage, bondage. What does that represent? Bondage represents chains, slavery, sin, okay? We're in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay, wait a minute here. That phrase, under the law, some people try to say, see, we were born under the law, but they don't even know what that means, right? Under the law. Under the law in Hebrew physically means born um, under the judge, um, under the law means like under sin, under the judgment of the law, and I can prove that. If you go to Exodus chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-four, this is also in Leviticus twenty-four, verse twenty, and Deuteronomy nineteen, verse twenty-one. But in Exodus twenty-one, verse twenty-four, what it translates it as is eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It's saying, if somebody sins. Then if they cause if they if they poke out somebody's eye, you have to take out their eye, right? Okay, that's what it translates as. But in Hebrew, it literally says, eye under eye, tooth under tooth, hand under hand, foot under foot. The word there is tachat. Ayin, tachat ayin. And so forth. Shin, tachat, shin, yad, tachat, yad. Okay, you get the point. So what people miss here is that when you sin, you are under the judgment of the law. You're under the judgment because you sinned. And so in the law, if you've ever read the law, which the word law doesn't actually exist, is there translated there for what the, what the books are? Genesis to Deuteronomy is not actually called the law in Hebrew. It's called the teachings and instructions. It's the word Torah interesting how they translated it as the word law, but that is not what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew, if anybody read that, they would understand, okay, this is my instruction set. This is my manual. And so in the Hebrew, what they're saying is, when you take out somebody's eye, you're under, so eye under eye, you're under the penalty of the judgment for breaking that law, just like in America, just like in under any any country. So, when we are originally born, we are born under into sin. We're born under the law. We are born into wickedness. And anybody who says, and okay, I'm a mother, 
But anybody who says these innocent children <laughs> are so sweet and perfect, okay, they are. But I saw in my children, in every child that's been around me, anger, frustration, um, hot-temperedness, selfishness, right? All of these wicked, ungodly characteristics. We are literally born under the penalty of the law because we are born into sin because of Adam and Eve's choices. That is what this is saying. And I can prove that to you if you continue on with me through this. This is, it's so obvious once you see that the whole Bible goes together and God didn't change his mind in the book of Matthew finally and say, well, you guys can do whatever you want now. Who cares? I have no sets of rules for you to help you out. Just go ahead and do whatever you want. There's no righteousness. There's no right or wrong, right? I mean, that's ridiculous to think that. Of course there's right or wrong. However, what Paul is always trying to tell us in the whole Bible actually is trying to tell us, you can't be good enough to save yourself. You need forgiveness. All of us need the forgiving grace of God. We've all fallen short. But, okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. Let's get back to this and let's read verse 5. Uh, I'm going to read verse four, 4 again, then we're going to go on to verse 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born, so born into that sin, under the judgment of the law, so he was born as, in his flesh just as much as us, and he had to overcome, to redeem those who were under the law. Right? Doesn't that make more sense now? We were, it's not that God's, obe, not obe, obedience to God isn't bondage, but what is bondage is our sin. So here we are under the judgment of the law because we are so wicked. So he came to redeem us from that, from the judgment that was found in the law. Because if you read those teachings and instructions, there's instructions, and there are judgments for breaking those instructions. And when we break those instructions, we are under that judgment and we need forgiveness. Okay, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Messiah, through Christ, through Messiah. And then indeed, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Okay, this is talking about when you didn't know God, you served things that were not of God, right? Verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Okay, this is again saying, you used to not know God, and I get it. You were in bondage to those things which were not a God. But now you know God. Why are you going again to sin? Okay, that's what he's saying. Why are you going into those beggarly and weak elements? And remember, nothing that God spoke is sin. Nothing that God chooses us to do is sin. So he would never be saying not to go to obey God's ways. He's not saying don't obey God's laws, right? Because that would be contrary to what is even making sense in here. That wouldn't even make any sense. So look at verse 10. You deserve days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So this isn't talking about any of God's rules. Because remember it already said, you served things which were not of God. But, but, but God's rules are of him. He did give us those rules. So that's obviously not what he's talking about as the weak and beggarly elements. And I would hope anybody who's as brazenly foolish to call God's laws weak and beggarly to confront God with that himself. <laughs> because I'm not going to go there with God. He said it. He spoke it. He said it's life and truth and liberty to us. He said it is 
beautiful in our, in our wisdom, um, I'm not going to call it bad. So it's obviously not what he's talking about. He is talking about the bondage of sin, right? Because we're born in sin to the things which are contrary to God's laws. God's laws are not sin, but what we do that is contrary to those laws are sin. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is transgression of the law. The Romans chapters 1 through 6 says we don't know what sin is unless we understand God's laws because that shows us, points out what sin is, tells us what to do. It's our manual. So what days and months and seasons are years and years would he be referring to? Definitely not God's holidays, definitely not God's Sabbaths. He's referring to the things that we already talked about. Remember we talked about um, Nimrod being worshipped and that is where the holidays of Christmas came and Easter from all of the Babylonian traditions that were not biblical and not of God. They were worshiping physically worshiping demons and false gods. So a lot of these believers, a lot of these people turning to God, were then beginning to worship what? They were beginning to observe days and months and seasons and years that were not of God. For example, Purim. Purim now is the modern equivalent of Halloween. And Purim, if you look at the book of Esther, okay, so this is going to be a little controversial for some of you, but if you follow me out, you're going to see that's 100% accurate. So the Bible is a compilation of letters and books and things written, some inspired by the Holy Spirit and some um, more historical. What we also know is that there were books referred to in this Bible that we don't have, like the book of Gad, the book of Jasher, the book of Nathan, all those things, right? So we know other people wrote, and we know people still continue to write today. Some people have have, in essence, um, kind of worshipped this Bible in a way that has made it, and they're venerated it in such a way that they take away from what it actually was. God came to Moses on the mountain and instructed him with the commandments. There was a person writing down and commemorating Genesis through Deuteronomy. So they, we believe it's Joshua, but, but we don't know for sure. Somebody historically wrote that down. Okay, then we see these prophets writing down the messages they get from God. We see the Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we see all through the New Testament letters inspired by the Holy Spirit helping us to understand what? The scriptures, right? Even they tell Timothy, Timothy, you know the ancient scriptures, which are Genesis through Malachi. You know those, keep them. You've had them from your youth. That's all. That's what they had. That's what they were studying people. They didn't have these New Testament letters in the New Testament churches, yet they were still being written. (laughs) So they were continuing to tell them to understand and, and study the word of God. Now, that being said, the book of Esther was fabricated and if you study historically, you'll see that Esther did not exist. There's no mention ever her of any historical reference, wherever, whereas these other books and these other people did exist. We find that throughout history. But the book of Esther was written to increase Jewish morale. Um, it, she noticed there's no mention of God in that whole entire book. And that book somehow just got accepted and they put it into the, this collection. <laughs> but, but it's... Um, yeah, just be careful with that because Purim, you know, it, it was not a biblically commanded holiday of God. It's a day, and, and they make it now as the modern Halloween. But study it out for yourself. See if the book of Esther actually, see if Esther actually existed. Notice how there's no mention of God in there. And notice how it really seems to be one of the traditional Judaism type behaviors of creating stories to increase Jewish morale, which is quite common quite common. It happened quite a bit in history. So 
obviously people tell fables and stories all the time. Now, the other books have been historically accurately documented and proven. That book is just not okay. <laughs> and it was interesting to me. I, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me that when I was reading it, and then I went and looked at it historically and found out that it actually, in fact, was not happening. There's no historical record ever, ever of that Esther. And in fact, the word Esther means Easter, <laughs> which was a pagan name, pagan goddess of Babylon. So interesting again. But my point being, these, the observation of days, months, seasons, and years for which he's afraid of, he specifically says here, there are things that were not of God. Not of God. Not the things that God did command, but the things that were not of God. Okay, verse 11, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain, right? So if Paul's sitting here saying like, gosh, I have tried to teach you in such a way that you are free from sin, now you're returning again to the things that God is trying to set you free from. And in proper English, I should have said, from which God is trying to set you free. Verse 12, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Yeshua, or Messiah Yeshua. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Therefore, many of us, many people believe that the physical infirmity that Paul pleaded with God to take away from him was this eye affliction he had. And remember, he was struck blind on the road to Damascus for three days. And so some people wonder if that's the ailment he had. Verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, being the religious organizations, at the time it was Pharisees and Sadducees, and remember, they were not obeying the law of God, the one that we read about in the Bible, they had a whole extra book called the Talmud. So people get this confused and they think, oh, see, we're not supposed to do like the Jews. No, no, no. The, the first disciples, Jesus, all those were Jews. And as long as you follow God's rules, you're okay. But it's when you follow the rules that are not of God. That's what's not okay. Verse 17, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. And have you ever noticed churches trying to grow their numbers and they divide and they have different names and factions? Gosh, I just, isn't that crazy? Because this doesn't seem like what we're supposed to do, right? It's, we know it's not. We shouldn't be building different churches and different bodies. Well, we have better worship over here or we have a better teacher. Well, guys, we should be one body, one faith, one hope. And when we're trying to grow our own body, we're breaking up the body of God. And in fact, one person had a, a dream once and I, and God gave me the interpretation for it. And in his dream, and he was the leader of a congreg messianic congregation, and I knew he was building that congregation and not God's church anymore. And I'd warned him, but in his dream, God came to him and showed him there was a tree and every single man was coming. All these men were coming and putting their own boards on it, trying to build this tree, but in essence, it, and then it killed the tree. And I told him, I said, by building man's kingdoms and man's religious systems and organizations, you're killing the tree of God. You're killing the tree of life. You're killing God's, the, the olive tree in which we're supposed to be grafted into. You're killing his people because we build systems and not just God's family. So remember that, people. Remember that. These religious systems have to be brought down. Because they what? They court, zealously court you for their own good. 
Verse 18, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Messiah is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, or you who desire to be continue to break the law, and therefore be under the judgment of the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Get this here. See it, guys? They tried to build this religious system. They tried to make God's promises come true through Hagar, through the man's ways, through the through sin. That right, Sarah and Abraham lost um, focus on the truth, focus on the vision, and they tried to force this. And every single religious system out there is this. They don't just let God's spirit be enough. They feel they have to build a kingdom, build a ministry, build something in order to save. God and make his church alive, make his body alive. That's not the way God intended. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus never started a church. Jesus and the disciples went out and preached the gospel to every single person who was around them. Listen, people, listen, please. Let's not, let's not be under the bondage and servanthood of Hagar. Let us let God fulfill the promise as he does miraculously through his spirit, like he did with Isaac through Sarah. Okay, verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, right? He's trying his own efforts. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, right? And so here again, religious systems, if you just follow rules, if you just follow rules and you think that you can build a religious system and you can do right or wrong and you're good enough and you do it your own way, it leads to death. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Basically saying you can't be good enough to save yourself, people. You can't do it your own way and think you're going to be saved. You can follow every single law in God's rules, but if you don't understand your own wretchedness and let God's Spirit bring His work his truth to work in you. It's fruitless. It's pointless. You can't do things to be justified. Notice in the story that we're reading in the next chapter, after Abraham had already believed in God and done all these things, after that, he's going to take the sign of the covenant of the circumcision. He's going to become his, have his family circumcised, but after he already believed. And it was a sign of his belief. He didn't do it to be saved. He already was saved. He already did have that fellowship with God. So remember that when you obey God, it needs to come from faith and through the Holy Spirit and through that, the the free woman, basically. You need to obey, but it needs to come from your heart in the right way, not forced. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are our children of promise. <laughs> right? Right? I hope you guys see. I hope the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to see. Isaac was promised by God, but he couldn't force him at the wrong time or through the wrong avenue. God does promise that his children will return. But these religious systems that are built up by money and build greed and and make these people arrogant and bad shepherds, that is not 
how God is going to save his children. He saves them through each of the individual people at the right moment, at the right time, sharing the gospel and spreading his truth. As the roots of a tree grow out, we are spreading out and, and, and reaching and tapping in to all these other little seedlings out there that are truly God's. And then we all grow together and graft into one tree. So if you can picture that, I hope that made sense. Verse 29, but as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. And have you heard people, have you heard people say, well, you need to go to this church body. You need to find a church body. Well, the first of all, the word church is first used in Exodus chapter 12 at the Mount when they're getting the commandments. And it is, yeah, it is referred to as the whole, it's just a word that means mob or group of people. And it's referred to, first of all, as the children of Israel. Second of all, um, we aren't to be building our own kingdoms, but God's. And Elijah was all alone in that wilderness. <laughs> because why? Because people were into their religious systems and he knew that wasn't God's way. So just remember those little things. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. I'm going to read a few more verses in chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So obviously God's laws are not bondage. If God himself said they are our freedom <laughs> and our life, it's not that. Bondage is always, always, always representative of sin. And nobody dares say that God's laws are sin. What it's talking about is when you break God's laws, you are in sin. And that is the bondage. So when you do things in your own way, in your own power, in your own strength, in your flesh, and you do it, you're under sin. But let, let the Holy Spirit do it in you. Let God do it through you. Verse 2, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, if you read this whole book, circumcision is often referring to the group of people here. It's not the physical act, but yes, the Jews were physically circumcised. But it's also talking about a group of people here. So there's a few different things, and I want to talk about that. Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Okay, here's the thing. And, and many of you don't know this, but if you read this again, you'll see this. There was this whole thing that told, and if you read in, I guess, the book of Acts and all these places where they had the council meeting, they were telling these people that to be saved, they had to become a Jew and they had to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. But what we see in the story of Abraham is they were saved first and then obeyed by faith, all right? They obeyed through freedom. They obeyed because they were set free. They obeyed because they understood that is their path of freedom. And so what was happening is there were, at this time, there was actually, right, okay, so Judaism was the main um, main system informed them. Judaism is not the same as Jews. Judaism is the religion that focuses on the Talmud. Okay, and they had rules in there that said you have to become a Jew to be saved. You had to become um, circumcised to be saved. And there's a physical sect called the circumcision of Judaism at this time. And they may still be there, but I know for a fact at this time, historically, there was a sect called the circumcised, you know, the circumcision. So they were teaching this very strongly. And Paul's like, oh my gosh, you can't make God's promises through human efforts come true. 
Like you can't say to a man, if you're circumcised, you're saved. That's what he's saying here, guys. Like here, we didn't have any babies, Abraham and Sarah are saying, so we'll have a baby through Hagar. And, and so we say to this person, you're not born again yet, and you're not changing your heart, but if you go get circumcised, you're saved. Does that sound a lot like the Catholic Church right now? Hey, you aren't following God, but go get baptized, and you'll be okay. That is what this is coming against, people. You can't be baptized and think you're going to be saved. You can't be circumcised and think you're going to be saved. Right? And I'm just going to skip over really quick to verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because you are not under the judgment of the law. That's what the word under the law means. That's what that whole phrase means in Hebrew, people. If the Spirit leads you, He leads you in obedience, and then you are not under judgment of the law. Gosh, and that's why it says, like, through the law, I die to the law. So by obeying God's law, you die to the consequence of the punishment that was found in the law. Because there's two sections of the law. You have the obedience and then the punishment if you don't obey. And remember, Jesus came to be that sacrifice so that if we do and when we do disobey, we can ask for forgiveness. I hope this makes sense, but it's a huge concept to remember that we do not become saved by the things we do. I can be a horrible person inside and go get baptized, and it's not going to save me. I can have murderous, hateful, mean thoughts in my heart and get circumcised on the, in the flesh, and it's not going to save me. It, we must be born of the spirit of the freedom of the miracle, of the working of the Holy Spirit. So don't think <laughs> that if somebody gets read their last rites on their deathbed, that they're going to be okay. That is not what it's about, and that's what this section is talking about. You can't do things according to your own flesh and will and think it will justify you before God. I hope that makes sense. If you have questions, contact me. I know there's so much in here, and when I'm trying to connect it, my mind's thinking of one thing and then another, and I'm trying to read my notes and make it all make cohesive sense, and I just pray God opens each and every one of your hearts to comprehend who hears this today because this is a hugely important teaching that will help you not misunderstand scripture anymore. So it never ever says to disobey God's law. But what it does say is you are not saved by simple acts of of service or obedience or whatever. You can't be saved by that. You must be born again in your heart. You must be born of like Isaac was through a miracle. Okay, guys, you have a blessed, blessed day. Love you all.